Because agility is really weird in baseball, too. Like, if you watch some of, like, the best defenders, let's just say, like, you're watching, like, your middle infielders. You know, rarely when they field the ball, are they coming to, like, this exact stop position? You know, a lot of times it's so fast that, you know, it's like one fluid motion. They're fielding, turning, getting that ball out of the glove and letting it go. They're not, like, coming to a complete break. So I think that's where, like, that's where, you know, as a in, in things that I look at, you know, from an order of, what we really want to work on and how much of uh, the volume that we have, um, you know, baseball doesn't require like a ton of agility, you know, in, in that sense. And, you know, I think it actually like for me, it more co- so comes down to like a mobility standpoint. That was physical preparation coach, Pat trainer speaking on the nuances of agility development in baseball. You're listening to the just fly performance podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none, Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 130 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for tuning in today, and we have on the show Coach Pat Trainer, who is currently the minor league strength and conditioning coordinator for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I was actually recommended Pat. I, I kind of threw out some. Um, I threw out a question on Instagram or Facebook. I forget, um, but on on who you guys would like to see on the show. And Pat was one of the guys who was recommended. I, I'd never heard of him, so I reached out to him. And I can definitely say, in in talking with Pat, even just like the first little preliminary phone call we had, I'm like, man, uh, this guy really. If you if you look at like. All the little silos that exist, you know, you have um, you have strength and conditioning, you have sports medicine, you have the skill coaches, you have sports science, you have all these things. Like Pat is so good at managing and building relationships and context within all these silos and creating a system that is really special for his players. Um, I'm not like super familiar with baseball in some in some senses, like. Uh, I I have I'll, I'll be the first to say I have no experience training uh, baseball players outside of uh, putting together a program for the crew at Wilmington College. I'm fascinated by the biomechanics of like hitting and swinging and throwing. I think a Darian Bar just got me obsessed with those. Uh, but in terms of actually going into uh, baseball, I don't I don't have a lot, and we haven't covered that on the show. So I was really thrilled to have Pat on the show today, as well as um, Pat's a guy who, as a pro strength coach, and the more pro strength coaches I talk to. The more I start to understand um, the context and the bandwidth that they create in looking at each player as an individual with 
eat with different needs. Um, not everyone's all the same. Obviously, you can't go into the situation and just say, max strength for everybody. I'm going to get you as strong as I can and send you on your way and all will be well. Um, there's a whole lot more that goes into that. So um, Pat is, is really a so Pat's the man with that stuff. He really goes into things as well on the show today, not only with like what you were talking about with agility or what he was talking about with agility development before and the nuances of baseball and actually his his uh, mobility assessment, which he got cut off there, he's going to share with it later, reminds me a lot of like Jay Schrader, basically build the physical capacities and they will come. Um which is really cool, and he he's going to get into uh, the trade-off of skills that is baseball. It's almost like baseball is almost like a little bit of a decathlon, if you will. You can get hitting power and get a little bigger and stronger, but maybe it impacts your defense. So he's really going to go into this grand scheme of how he works with the skill coaches to make the ultimate the to make the program work in the direction of the player as best it can. Uh, he's going to go into how he approaches maximal strength. Some athletes definitely need to get stronger and need to put on mass, and it works out awesome for them. But some players don't, and what do you do in those situations? He's going to talk about the importance of the feet in baseball, some differences in Latin American players because they get a lot of Latin American players coming in. How are they physically different than the United States players, which the answer may surprise you actually a little bit. Uh, and finally, he's going to get into... Uh, speed and agility training and his system and ideas on that. So it was really cool to get some pro baseball talk on the show. I learned an awful lot and just really enjoying talking to Pat, who's just an awesome mind in the world of pro baseball. So excited to get you guys this show. So that being said, let's get started with episode 130 with Pat Trainer. I was curious a little bit about your background. Like what, what sports did you play? Like what led you into baseball? Uh, you know what? It's actually it's kind of funny because I grew up in a in a very small town in southern New Jersey, and you know the main sports that you played was uh, football in the fall, and you wrestled in the winter, and then spring trained. You know, actually, I don't even know if my high school had a baseball team. Maybe my freshman year, it wasn't really big, and uh, you know, I played those sports through high school. Uh, I ended up going to college at West Virginia University. Um, did my undergrad there uh, in exercise physiology and. Uh, you know, essentially through that whole, uh, you know, kind of like undergrad, I was geared towards like going to PT school. I wanted to work in like the rehab setting and I would do all kinds of volunteering at, uh, different clinics in the West Virginia, Morgantown area. Um, there was an aquatic therapy program, you know, and within the exercise physiology department. So, you know, I would do stuff with, you know, uh, you know, essentially PT, but in, in a pool. So, uh, my senior year, I went to go do um, an internship, and that was kind of when I got introduced more into like the athletic realm. And I was like, I saw one work, and I was like, oh yeah, this, uh, yeah, this is I think something that I like to do. So um, yeah, baseball kind of was just more of like an opportunity almost, you know. Like when I when I graduated college, I was looking for work, and I ended up uh, starting off at like a private training center who had a contract with St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. So I. I essentially was a, you know, a head strength conditioning coach without the official title from the university, um, overseeing, you know, I think there was like 14 or 15, uh, sports at the time that I oversaw. Um, and after about like a year and a half, I was just like, ah, oh, let me see what else is out there. And, you know, I saw baseball, they have postings like every year and, you know, I applied, sent in my resume, ended up interviewing for one, got hired. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, um, uh, you know, I'm still in baseball and that's like a big thing. A lot of guys, they always ask me that, well, like, you know, when did you stop playing? I was like, I don't know. Like, I played like little league, you know, when I was 12 years old and, uh, you know, it kind of presented itself as an opportunity early in my career. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that to get that opportunity and have a little bit of, uh, success and, um, 
you know, like I said, here I am 10 years later. Yeah, I think I think I stopped at like 12. Baseball is like my favorite sport until whenever that strike was in like the mid 90s where all the players went on strike. Yeah, <laughs> I, that, the exact same. <laughs> yeah, that did it in for me. I was like, all right, I'm done. I'll move, I'm tall, move on to basketball. But I no, baseball was my thing until then. And uh, <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting how sports come back. I work with swimming now and I like I mean, I, it's like, I don't tell a lot of people like I, I did swimming until I basically failed. They failed me at like level three of the swim lessons. Cause I couldn't do the butterfly. <laughs> right. And then that was it. I was like, okay, I guess this isn't, I guess I'm not cut out for this. I can hold my breath underwater a long time, but that doesn't really count for much of anything. So, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. It's like, you think about too, like how people get into the profession, right? Like I was in exercise science and it's like, when you're in that degree, it's like, oh yeah, you could do cardiac rehab. You could do, uh, you could do physical therapy. Like everyone kind of has that physical therapy moment. I feel like, like, and, and I was pursuing it at least until I had the idea of it until I actually shadowed a physical therapist. And I'm like, this is kind of boring. Like, I mean, it can be awesome if you, if you're in a practice where it can't, you know, you make it awesome and depending on how you're approaching things, but I was like, I couldn't do this. So. Yeah. The, the setting that I was in was a lot of more like, you know, uh, children and, and like the geriatric population, people with disabilities. It wasn't more so like rehabbing athletes. And it was, it was like, man, like this is, you know, it's great what you're doing to help these people. But at the same time, you know, that was kind of all I knew. And, uh, and like I said, I, I, you know, I, I heard that our strength conditioning department, you know, was, was, they do internships every year. And I remember like going down and, uh, watching one of the workouts was like the first thing. And I was like, you know, the music cranked up on the weight room. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is the environment I need to be in. I, I actually, you know, finished up all the hours I need to get it in, in the rehab, uh, you know, realm of things. And, and I didn't go back. I stayed in, with that, you know, with that, uh, that aspect of, of the exercise phys program, you know, throughout the duration. Yeah, I was um, I was an athletic training sports medicine major for two years, and this shows how little like aspirations I had when I was eighteen. But like, because basically my dad said decided that that would be something that would be I'd be interested in, so he signed me up for it. And then I got to the school, and some some of the seniors like, "Oh, athletic training so awesome! You're gonna love it." And I I had like literally because I had to have a requisite amount of hours like to to graduate or be certified. And I I by the yeah. time I quit my sophomore year, I definitely had the least amount of hours by far of everybody else just because i didn't like being in there like i just i wanted to work out and be around people who were working out and so it, it's interesting how how those opportunities present themselves uh so pat with what you're doing now like and so in your position I, and and i just think it's really cool everything you have at your disposal what you're doing and, and i think a, a big part of the field now is is kind of this this thing about transfer and 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 infusing uh, not being in your silo and infusing skills from different realms together. Uh, but what's your take on infusing uh, the work that you're doing in physical physical preparation with your skill coaches to give the players their best their best shot their best experience? Yeah, I think kind of like what you talked about with uh, you know as far as transfer of training, I think that. Um, you know, far too often uh, in in the physical preparation, strength conditioning realm, and and kind of like the evolution of the position and facilities that surrounded it. You know, we we kind of almost you know you put your the system itself put us in these silos, and um, you know it, it is great to have expertise in all of the departments. You know, from the medical side to the skill side, um, physical preparation side, because it does enhance the level of knowledge within that, but. 
I think, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to get too far, um, you know, kind of stuck in your, in your realm. Um, and ultimately as physical preparation coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, you know, our job is, is a support staff for the athletes to improve their, uh, their sport performance, regardless of what that sport is. Um, you know, in, in field court sports, uh, it's tough because you don't have like this one variable that you can point to and says, that's what made this guy better. You know, like him squatting this is what made him, you know, hit 300. It, you know, it's it's very far from that. And that's the tough part, I think, about, uh, you know, being, you know, working in our realm in uh, field court sports is that sometimes guys tend to, because of that, they tend to put themselves in that, you know, number chasing area and, you know, and only worry about things that they're doing in, in the weight room or, you know, out on the field, you know, with conditioning and speed work and those things all have its place and it's great, but I think a, a large portion of, of what we need to do um, is have like a really good communication with our uh, skill coaches, field staff, um, you know, technical, tactical coaches. Cause you know, going back to, you know, like I, I didn't play baseball growing up and by no means am I an expert hitter. So I really rely on our, you know, and, and baseball relies on hitting coaches. Uh, they may have lacked, you know, knowledge and physiology and, you know, developing athleticism. So, you know, us having conversations, you know, consistently um, is what helps kind of drive, I think, our programs overall versus getting caught up of what we do in the weight room. You know, we saw his vertical jump go up, you know, is that always going to be, you know, like directly translating to any improving performance on the field? I mean, yeah, sure. It, you know, you can say a guy may be a little bit faster if, if he's got a more, uh, uh, a higher vertical jump, a little bit more power output, but you know, like looking at golf, I'm, I'm, I like to know what like Tiger Woods, you know, vertical jump is, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, these guys are great athletes, but I, there's a point where that transfer isn't 100%. So I think having the, the communication with, you know, your field staff, your skill coaches is essentially integral in, you know, driving that performance of the athlete. And, um, you know, I think in, in baseball, kind of in, in my realm, you know, we have these, these meetings on players, uh, you know, a couple of times a year where we go over essentially like our roster, everybody in our organization and, um, you know, what can we do? What does this player need to, to get better? And I think a lot of times, like you will hear things like, Oh, he needs to get stronger. Uh, he needs more agility. That's, that's always a fun one. Um, you know, he needs to gain mobility and you'll hear like a lot of these like broad things that could mean anything. And, and I think sometimes it's easy to kind of just, you know, you know, put the headphones in and, and, uh, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs more agility. I'll take care of it. But I, you know, I think if you really listen to it, and you start to take note, like, let's start to dig, you know, the game of baseball doesn't involve, you know, the example of the agility, it doesn't involve a ton of agility work. Uh, so when I hear a, a staff member say this guy needs more agility, I'm thinking, okay, there's probably some type of deficiency in his uh, defensive ability. And it's probably something to do with more so first step quickness, you know, and more of like an acceleration deceleration versus, um, you know, what would be like typical agility, maybe in like the cross or American football. Um, so it's like, okay, well, I don't really need to take this guy through cone drills and through agility ladder drills. Like, let's figure out what's going on with this player is, uh, is it movement that he lacks, you know, is it motor motor patterns or maybe just, you know, mobility, the ability to contract, relax, like having rhythm. Um, is it 
you know, levels of, you know, his ability to overcome his own inertia and gravity and, and, you know, accelerate out? Is it reaction time and maybe more of like a game knowledge? Like maybe they don't, their visual acuity isn't that great or their, their ability to react to, you know, a, a stimulus isn't as fast. So those are things that as a strength coach, physical preparation coach, you have to listen to because, um, you know, they, they play a huge role in, in, you know, these, us helping these players reach their, their full physical potential. Oh, right on. I, I like when you, you, you brought up like vertical jump and this is somewhere that I've gone, especially in the last year or two, as I, I think I made that break. I mean, probably shoot almost 10 years ago where I'm like, okay, just cause your squat went up doesn't mean your vertical went up. And to me, the vertical is like this Holy grail of general power. And, and in some extent it is, but like, I, I've certainly been realizing more and more where, just because you jump higher doesn't mean you're gonna swing better like like there's serious distinctions in all these skills we it was funny we we had i mean and i'm not uh i work with tennis so there's like and i've really tried to been digging into the rotational elements of things and and i wasn't a big baseball player i, I like going to the driving range uh for golf but you know nothing kind of reminded me of this more <clears> we there's like a staff home run derby at work a couple weeks ago and you know, I go on I'm gonna okay I'm gonna hit a home run or something but like <laughs> I and it's funny because because I'll, all I do is golf like only I can only hit low pitches like anything above I'll just whiff like terribly and and doing the podcast with David Donatucci I was like kind of understanding why based off of what type of athlete I'm at but you see these people go out to hit and they don't look like you know physically imposing at all like they they could really do much athletically but then I mean, they can hit and I'm watching like the way their left leg, their left foot like really supinates and, you know, they, they're almost like winding it back before they weight shift in this pronation. Like they have the skill down of hitting. It's it's amazing. And how once you get beyond this certain level of athleticism and general ability, it's the skills is, is where it's at. And and it does demand a finer um attention to detail and and as well as like you were saying more than just agility because like well what is that right like is it there's so many i almost feel like it'd be cool to have and maybe there is this article out there probably is i, I think i've actually seen i, I think there's a tweet is like sophia nymphias had this presentation on it but like all the things that go in to change a direction it's it's pretty substantial uh like you were just saying like all the things that, that could be with your players yeah, I think, uh, you know, you going back to the vertical jump thing, like by no means do I dismiss that as like a valuable uh, measurement of power because we, we do use that, you know, as part of one of our assessments. But you have to be really caref careful about how you uh, how you evaluate that and, and how it pertains to, you know, every individual athlete. Because, sure, we do have some guys that are very, you know, uh, athletic and rank very high within our organization that happen to throw hard and happen to hit hard but there are also guys on the other end of the spectrum that are on the bottom of that you know that uh that assessment of vertical jump that can still do those things that can a pitcher can still throw 90 miles per hour you know and and you know guys can still have some power in their swing so it, it it's an assessment that helps but i think uh like i said in baseball being such a skilled sport you have to be you know you still have to be open-minded and can't be closed off to what you do from the weight room or, you know, or, you know, from the medical side in the training room, um, you know, even with like your mobility screenings, it's like how much, you know, how much mobility do we really want to gain? Or maybe, maybe some of that mobility is what allows that guy to have that skill set. So, you know, maybe our goal isn't to have everybody fit in this one category of, you know, joint centration, you know, uh, 
perfect mobility, but maybe it's like, hey, let's just make sure that this guy doesn't continue to trend in that negative direction or, or, or really have something that we, you know, think may cause some issues elsewhere down the line. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very broad spectrum of things, and I think the more that we can communicate with our, you know, skill coaches to, to have that, essentially, like, that, that next pair of eyes that says, hey, like, you know, he may be doing this, this, and this, but um, this is what I see. And again, that's where as a, as a, you know, strength conditioning professional as well, our assessments do, you know, kind of help out because sometimes, uh, you know, a coach may say, hey, this guy is, uh, he needs to work on his speed and acceleration or his first step quickness. And we're like, well, by our means of, you know, uh, acceleration through our assessments, this guy actually ranks like top 10 in the organization, you know? So, so maybe that's where we need to look at, uh, hey, maybe he's not getting good reads on the pitcher, you know, and, and that's why. Uh, he's not getting a lot of stolen bases or, or maybe he's just not making attempts in this, in the games because that situation hasn't arised or, you know, maybe there's something else to it without that communication between, you know, departments and, and between staff, you know, a lot of things can kind of go left unnoticed. And, you know, unfortunately in this game, there's, there's new people knocking at the door every year. You know, there's a, there's another draft, there's new guys signed. We have, you know, a ton of new players coming over from Latin America. So, you know, the shelf life of, a, of players, you know, sometimes they don't get these huge opportunities and we, we need to make the largest impact that we can have possible, uh, you know, essentially in that short time frame that we have. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I have, a, I have another um, kind of a follow-up <clears throat> question for you, but before I get to it, I'm going to forget it. How do you, do the Latin American players, uh, how do they compare to the American players coming in? I mean, I don't think the Latin American have the typical right strength and condition the American do, but they probably, I guess you'd think they probably play more, or they're more well-rounded or go barefoot, you know, like that type of vibe. Is there substantial physical differences between the, the different players you get? Yeah, definitely. I think that, uh, you know, I, obviously there's some things that, you know, uh, in the United States, just our, our traditional, you know, schooling system, you know, in, in the Dominican Republic, a lot of these kids come into our academies at 16 years old. So, you know, they start playing baseball as a way of life, uh, probably younger. And, and we think that, you know, specialization is becoming this issue in the United States. Well, these kids from like 12 years old, 10 years old, maybe even younger, that's all they're doing. And um, when these kids come over to the United States at 16, 17, 18, sometimes they're a little bit more refined on the baseball side because all they have been doing is playing games. But um, they've also, you know, and a lot of times from and, and I'll say, you know, from the Dominican Republic, I see it more because uh, they all they play is baseball. Um, they'll fall into some uh, I'll call them like motor learning deficiencies, essentially, where. You know, I've seen guys playing at like double A, triple A that if you ask them to stand on one foot, you know, they would struggle or do like a box step up or a lunge and they look like they're getting ready to fall over. And it's like, oh, God, you know, but but you watch a, you know, a ground ball get hit to them and it's like flawless, you know, how their hands move and how they move their feet around the ball. So, um, you know, I think more of the differences is that they, they play the game versus, you know, falling into more of what you know, traditional physical education systems look like, um, you know, Dominican Republic, it's, it's, uh, I, I assume it's not as prevalent because these, these kids, you know, are going to our academies at 16 years old, um, and playing baseball, you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's pretty much year round. I mean, they get a few weeks each, uh, or, you know, a month or two each year where they'll go home, 
you know, where it's no baseball, but the majority of the time they're, they are at our academies and, um, you know, under our supervision with, with training. So it's, uh, I'll say like the vertical jump, like things like assessments like that, that we use, a lot of these guys don't even know how to jump. So some of their numbers are actually a lot lower when, when they first come over and it's like, Oh my God, man, like this guy can't jump at all. But if you watch him, if you just see the number, you'd be like, Oh man, 20 inches. Like, what is this guy doing? You know? (laughs) But then you, if you actually watch these kids jump, some of them, you know, they've never been taught to even jump. So like they get their feet really wide and you know, they're looking up at the Veritech that we'll use and trying to figure out like where they need to touch and, I mean, there's also, you know, it's, it's like a learning curve to actually the assessment itself. So, um, you know, that's something that we try to, uh, we keep that in mind when, when uh, we do do those assessments. And that's something that we work on, you know, from when kids come into those academies at 16 years old, it's just like very basic movements, pattern skills, you know what I mean? Like, you know, basic running drills, uh, very basic lifting, body weight stuff you know, teaching guys just how to land from jump. So a lot of the stuff is, I mean, what you would do if you were working with like a high school kid, you know, in the United States. And that's essentially like the age range that we deal with for the most part. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting, I guess for some reason I would have thought like, um, someone coming from a, a country of, of less means, like maybe they're like playing more as kids so that, you know, just playing like different, like, you know, kid games or something like that. Like, that maybe they would be more well-rounded, but it is, I guess if that's like the culture though, the way of life, like, like you grow up and you play baseball, um, I'm, I'm sure you'd run into that. It's, yeah. They're, they'll play in base. They'll play baseball in the streets with like bottle caps and stuff. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like that's like the, the games that they play as kids. I mean, uh, I don't know if soccer is really big for the most part. I, you know, I, I, I don't think that many guys play or, you know, uh, football over there, you know, in, in the youth, I think baseball is, is kind of in the Dominican Republic is what drives that in Venezuela. Um, you know, we have some players come from over there and, and, you know, they, they play, uh, you know, uh, some other sports and it's a little bit different sometimes from what I've noticed, some athletes that come from Venezuela tend to move a little bit better, you know, from like the basic type things that, that, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, basic movement patterns. I think that, so it, it definitely differs, you know, country to country, but I think, um, yeah, those, those kids, man, if you go over there, you know, it's, you're, you go in a, a neighborhood full of poverty and the kids are out in the streets playing, you know, baseball with a stick and like some bottle caps. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Actually I was there when I was five and one of my few memories, it was just in an urban area that I stayed and it was, I remember kids playing with like a stick trying to hit bottle caps with a stick, you know, like yep. it's, it's like the ultimate Rocky training for baseball, that kind of, that kind of vibe. But I, you know, I, it's, I, the reason I ask, I try, I'm not trying to like hijack uh, the conversation in the sense, but I like that, you know, we quantify, you hear all the time, Oh, the United States is behind in math or something, you know, Finland's like kicking our ass or whatever. And I'm like, well, where's the, how do you quantify physical education? That's what I'm just kind of like interested in the physical competencies that these different cultures kind of present with as, you know, as, as they kind of go through. And so just an, an interest of mine. Uh, yeah. but, uh, yeah. So the before I forget to, before I get off tangent too much, uh, I think it's interesting what you said that we as physical preparation coaches have a different set of eyes with sports skills. You know, it's like, we're not the sport coach, but I think it is interesting. The things that we are equipped with our ability, you know, whether it be, I guess you could say joint by joint perspective, uh, you know, stability and stability or, or mobility, or or anything like that and one of my big things is the feet too that i'm getting into like what are you how are your feet interacting the ground and how is that impacting everything up the chain 
uh, I think it's really cool, especially if, if the two coaches can work together well, you know, if if the, the egos can get lowered. And I think the output can be really solid, but I definitely think it takes um, it takes people who are willing to interact with each other to, to do that well. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I know you brought up the feet, too. I, I always say, like, one of the physical assessments that we're missing out on is when everybody comes in the spring, we need, hey, take your shoes off. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to, we need, like, because, I mean, a there's a lot of guys that come in that have that have some issues and um you know some some you know you can say that it starts from the ground up and um there's definitely that's like one of those things that's kind of like untapped on you know that uh that I think would be you know probably something very interesting to look at I've heard some of your your talks on uh you know with different guys on that nature and it's definitely a very interesting topic that, that I like to dig a little bit more into as well yeah yeah i'm just i mean i'm i'm just curious i mean that's why i'm I'm doing all these talks with people and starting to try to attempt to figure some things out i i've been, i'm starting to dip my toes in with some of my tennis guys and like the idea just pl- i mean i need to watch a lot of video too like to see because how a, a baseball player hits is like you know there's there's a million ways you can hit a tennis ball you can be going into it walk going away from it while hitting it and i'm just like how do i even start with all this process but I, i've kind of noticed the people who have a hard time like getting into the ground and using the, like and lateralizing their foot once it is on the ground have a harder time with a solid like swing but I, again i it's it's taken me it's it's a long process but it is that being said it's exciting i'm excited to see what where people go with uh the information that's out there that the experts have presented and and i it's yeah i think it's really powerful i think it's really cool that yeah the idea of okay you report to camp right let's see what everyone's feet look like and and how you can do these different things it's where it starts i I think that's awesome yeah yeah like i said you wouldn't i mean you see collapse arches and you know guys look like you know feet's pronating in and it's like man like there's got to be something that we can do to start there before we're worrying about how much you're you know how much weight you're picking off the ground or how fast you're running so yeah oh yeah yeah. oh yeah right on yeah i I, and so yeah with weight picking up off the ground too well a kind of a dual-headed question well first you know i know you've gotten to a point you know even before we jumped on this podcast we were just talking about um you know some athletes with different needs and and what different players are going to be helped by but uh first off what's your journey been with max strength i think when we first get into the industry you know depending on who our mentors were there's often that um you know that that max strength just push the maxes for everybody that's our job you know and and then i think we kind of learn down the line um which which uh attitude is best for different players and different needs but but how has your journey been in in that regards and then how are you kind of putting strength in context now with how you approach developing it in your players yeah i think you know early in my career i kind of was in that you know uh that mindset that strength rules all and you know if we can have a guy that's you know, as strong as possible, um, that's going to kind of carry over to, you know, a lot of the other athletic abilities. And, and to a degree, you know, like I said, there is some truth in that. And, and this is where I say, like, you got to put things in context because um, the majority of the, t- the athletes that we work with in, in baseball may not be, you know, these extremely like type two explosive athletes. Um, some of them may actually be very undertrained or, or not trained at all because they're, they're at such a young age. So, you know, I think it all has to have some type of context to it. You know, with our younger population of guys coming in, um, if guys have never worked out before, I, I think they're definitely, you will see like some immediate short term, you know, improvements in their performance or just their ability to, uh, to train for the sport. Um, you know, I, I was at a TPI conference a couple weeks ago and they were talking about, 
you know, it's like golf, you know, they, you know, it's a sport where they have like so many max effort hits during, you know, during, a uh, the competition. And then how do they train for it? You know, you go to a driving range and you're just hitting buckets of balls and like, that's not necessarily the game, but baseball is very similar, meaning that, you know, a player may only take, you know, from a hitting perspective, so many swings in a game, but in order for him to, uh, you know, maximize that skill of hitting, like you have to take repetitions and, um, you know, we need to train athletes to be able to handle the practice workloads, you know, essentially. So not just necessarily game, but actually, you know, the, the practice for their, for their competition. Um, so I, I think some of our younger athletes will have some really short term benefits from increasing strength. And, um, you know, once we get to a certain level that we deem, you know, is, is good enough for that individual, um, you know, we start to transition into, you know, like I said, more of, uh, they essentially go into another bucket, you know, where now maybe we put a big focus on, um, mobility or their power output or speed or mechanics. And maybe we dig a little bit deeper into like the mobility, um, and things like that. But there, there are many roads to Rome, you know, as, as the saying goes, and it's like, you know, you can't, you have to have everything in context, I guess I would say, I, I think, Increasing max strength will have some short-term gains with some players. Some players, you know, it, it may not help at all because they may already be at a, at a higher level of play and they've done something for a certain, you know, length of their career. And, you know, it's kind of tough to come in and, you know, go to a major league guy that's been playing six or seven years at the highest level and say, hey, you know, I think if you started deadlifting or, you know, back squatting, it's going to take your game to a whole another level, you know, like this guy's already made millions of dollars. He's already, you know, put in a half of a career, you know, if not, you know, more than what most people achieve. So it's like, that's where you kind of, things have to go in context and you have to find other means that are going to help, uh, keep that player healthy one and, you know, maybe have some slight improvements in performance just from their ability to, uh, recover better, I would say. Um, so, you know, absolute strength is, is, is great in that sense, uh, that, you know, maybe it may cause some direct changes, but it's not for everybody. I mean, you, you look at world-class sprinters and some of them are really dominant in the weight room and some of them, you know, it, it's just a, an accessory, you know, I, I love like the comparison of like Ben Johnson and Carl Lewis, you know what I mean? Like body types completely different like those are the types of things that as a physical preparation coach you should take in with every athlete i mean the the variety of athletes that we have in general outside of just the position specific like just body types you know like th there are uh so many tr uh, ways of going about training to achieve like a goal of, of increased uh, increased performance without saying you know you need to pick up 600 pounds some guys, you know, and when I say pick up 600 pounds on the floor, that's like the upper end. I, you, you don't see that too often with a lot of, a lot of players that, uh, you know, we have in our organization. I mean, you know, once a guy gets to like two times his body weight, you know, sometimes that may be tough for guys. So it's like, okay, this guy's playing at like double A, triple A, you know, major league level, and he's not very dominant in the weight room, but he's still playing at the highest level. So, you know, you have to have that separation to be able to say, you know, you know, this isn't always the answer. Um, I guess that's kind of my, my thought on, on how I view it within our organization. Um, and, and it could change, you know, year to year, uh, depending on the players that we, that we, uh, you know, draft, um, depending on the off season that players have, you know, sometimes guys like we get a guy to a point where we, we deem he's like really physically fit is, 
his, uh, you know, his strength numbers through his workouts were really good. His speed numbers are good. His mobility is good. Um, the season ends. He had some success that season. The season ends, and he shows up, you know, February 15th or March 1st for, uh, for spring training. And it's like, man, what happened to you? It's like, yeah, I got big, right? Like, you know, like he's thinking he got jacked. It's like, man, like the body composition showed you went up, you know, like five or six percent and, you know, your your uh, speed power numbers are down. And, and I'm more concerned about your work capacity and being able to handle this load in spring. So, you know, it, I think it's all in context. It changes, you know, year to year, player to player. And um, you just have to maintain that uh, thought process because it's very easy to to, like I said, as a physical preparation coach, you get stuck chasing numbers and, you know, it's, it's not always the answer. Yeah. I, it's really amazing how, how different the, 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 the standard can be across the board, right? Like you were saying with Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson and this, I remember, uh, the podcast I did with Brian Mann, I think it was the podcast I did with him where he was talking about athletes who are a little bit more ectomorphic, just don't have as much natural muscle mass just don't have the tolerance for the same volume in the weight room that athletes who are more mesomorphic and endomorphic do. And, and just knowing which, um, which medicine to give each athlete and what dose there's such a, there's such a skill to it. Right. But I, I like what, and this is actually you and I were, uh, we were talking, um, before this podcast about just like some of those players you were saying who do need to just improve that general strength and gain weight and build a little more general horsepower and and the powerful impact of that for those guys and i think it's it's so easy to just take sides right it's so easy to say i'm on this side i'm on this side um it's just such a it's such a complex area and i was going to ask as well like in that same vein and you had mentioned uh you know some basic lift numbers that you might like but do you have a, a short list of kpis that you tend to utilize and i know there's different positions as well but maybe just giving an example or two from a couple of positions what kind of kpis you're looking at what types of things you like to see um across the board for your guys yeah i think the the number one thing that that i think we can have the largest impact on is uh is like speed power or speed acceleration um, and you know, we, we just do a, a very basic, like 10 yard start to, to assess that it's very general. And I know it's not the end all be all for top end speed, but, um, it kind of works in our setting, um, in our circumstance, you know, we get guys in, in the first day and the next day, you know, they're like full go. So it's like you roll the dice when you start making your assessments a little uh, more provocative. Cause we don't have five days until, you know, the next training session, you know, these guys will be in games within you know, a handful of days after they arrive. So I think the first thing that we do is like our, our speed acceleration, um, you know, metrics. And, and that's through, uh, you know, through, through the 10 yard start uh, assessments, um, you know, uh, talking to, again, talking to a lot of our skill coaches or our base running coordinator and, you know, you know, picking out guys that we value organizationally that we think are, are runners that are, that are good runners in the game. Um, so I think that's one of our, our top, things that we look for because I, I think that's where we can make the largest impact how we make that impact with those is i mean the same thing with the strength conversation there's a ton of different ways we can go about it depending on every individual case whether it's you know body composition and you know strength numbers their running mechanics their ability you know from a you know just ability to um, have patience during the acceleration you know phase and you know i i know sometimes when you're just testing 10 yards guys you know, mechanics for that, uh, 10 yards look nothing like what they would look like if they were running mm -hmm. a 30 or a 40. So it's like, <clears throat> you know, how do we, how do we, uh, view that or, or, or help, um, 
I guess main, mainly just help with that uh, skill set. I think that's one of the biggest things that you know we look at. After that, it's kind of uh, like a scouting profile. We t- we talk with our uh, the meetings that we have about our players. It's how do we see uh, this player or his skill set helping our major league team win? And you know, there's like the five five tools of like a you know players like speed, uh, speed, power. Uh, Hitting for average, you know, fielding and defense, and arm strength, and it's like all of those, all of those uh, tools can be broken down into, you know, their own metrics that every organization or you know, whoever uses to assess those. So, um, you know, talking to our field staff and coordinators and, and front office, like, how is this player going to help our major league team? Um, because not many players have all five of those tools, and you know, sometimes a guy may have like a hitting for power tool and uh, he may, his defense may be terrible. And this is like a, a very real scenario. You know, his defense is terrible. He, this is a guy that needs to work on agility and his speed. Uh, you, you know, like if, if we were to strip this guy down because his maybe body composition isn't ideal for, you know, speed and moving around, and then all of a sudden he loses some power, well, now what's this player mm-hmm. worth? You know, we may have affected his career negatively. Um, you know, so those are things that I make sure I'm very clear with when we have those conversations, you know, Hey, just to let you know, if, if this is something that we're really looking to do, you know, are we, are we willing to, you know, take a risk of, cause we're working with these guys in season. It's not like we have a full off season where we have contact with these guys. Um, so yeah, it's like one of those things that, you know, we kind of take with a grain of grain of salt and, uh, you know, figure out, uh, essentially the best way that we can go about making those changes, um, and then, you know, essentially suppleness, that's a very broad category. Um, we look at, uh, you know, tissue quality and injury history. What type of issues have they had in the past, if any? Um, essentially the mobility screenings that we do from medical side. We don't really have any, like, assessment protocols, I would say, from the strength conditioning side. Um, I'm a big believer that our, our medical side, we spend like a full day of gaining all these mobility assessments you know, anthropometric measures. So like, let's just use them. Like, let's just, if you find out what the numbers mean, you can make a large impact without spending man hours of, you know, FMSing 200 athletes, you know, that takes some time. Um, so I think those are some of the, you know, kind of, I'll say the top things that we look for when guys come into camp. Um, and, you know, as far as like the position specific skills, uh, specific, it could be individual for every guy based on, you know, essentially the scouting on that player, what they see him, uh, how they see him impacting our major league team. So, you know, we, we, as physical preparation coaches, we always have goals. Like we want guys to be lean. We want guys to be strong, fast, explosive. Um, you know, but sometimes it's like, okay, well, if rotational power hitting for power is this guy's skill set, we, we want to make sure that we spend some time on his weaknesses, but we don't spend enough time to where it starts to take away from his strengths. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things that, you know, in any field court sport you have to look at. You can't always be caught up on the weaknesses. And like I said, that instance where, man, this guy's slow and, and he loses some uh, some weight and, you know, he gets a little bit leaner, but, you know, he's not hitting 30 home runs anymore. And, you know, <laughs> and his defense didn't improve drastically to make him, you know, uh, you know an all-star. So it's like, you gotta you gotta pick your battles there. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. That's such a fascinating give and take. I mean, I was just thinking, it's like how many sports are there where you 
you you hit something and you have to be strong and hit something a long way but then you also have to run and be agile and quick right like it's it's a little bit different and uh, compared to i was thinking like decathlon in track like you can you could get really big and be good at the throws but then have fun in the 400 in the mile you know like it's uh exactly it, it's it's cool it's cool how that that you know that strategy exists from the physical prep perspective i would imagine too a lot of players especially if it's like their identity is like a home run hitter they might be kind of resistant to you know getting like oh you have to play better defense you got to get lean like i feel like you would probably run into some issues there maybe from a psychological perspective on their like their own role and and you know trying to turn those dials or or those levers so to speak yeah yeah definitely i think that you know you always have to be careful in the wording when you're having those conversations with the players but it's never like you wouldn't say like hey you're a complete liability out there you know what i mean (laughs) like you're terrible (laughs) yeah exactly that's why i said like it's not like we can we can find a you know they can find a place to put this guy and yes we will work on some things that will help improve that skill but like i said we don't want to you know, I would say, like in, in the case from that that hitting, you know, perspective, if if we want to work purely on defense and speed, well, you know, that's part of the pie that we're taking out of that guy's day. You know, the the strength coach at the affiliate would grab that guy, you know, when he shows up to the park, maybe get him warmed up, take him out in the field and do some agility work or speed work. Well, okay, well that 15 to 20 minute session has to be accounted for. You know, if he if, if he's losing out on cage time or he's losing out on maybe even like actual defensive, you know, work like infield work with one of the other coordinators, you know, it's like, you know, okay, the guy needs to get faster, but we need to find a way to uh, make sure that we do it in very, you know, uh, monitored and specific volumes, not to interfere with this guy playing at, at the game at seven o'clock at night. And in, in the minor league setting, it is, we are in player development. It is development, but you know, what they do at seven o'clock every night matters. You know, if, if, yeah, we could be getting this guy stronger and faster, but, uh, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, like you're getting all this work in before the game. So game time, you know, by, by the fifth inning, man, this guy's spent, you know, in a, in a three hour game. Well, that's going to affect his performance, not just in that night, but also long-term. So that's where, especially, like I said, dealing with these guys in season, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, walking a fine line of, you know, what we're looking for from a developmental standpoint, exactly. Um, what is this individual's KPIs, like from a scouting standpoint, like what do we see him having the greatest impact on a major league team? And then, and then how can we attack those things? And like I said, the weaknesses and the little details, like we can always find ways of kind of picking here and there, um, you know, micro dosing things from like a speed standpoint, if that's a, if that's something that he needs, like we don't need to go out and have uh, a 30 minute speed session. And, you know, sometimes, that's what is when when a strength coach or a physical preparation coach or the skill coach has in mind of this guy needs to get faster sometimes that's like the thing like all right he needs to go out and have this 30 minute session where he's doing cone drills or you know doing max effort sprints and it's like okay you know let me talk to the manager to see if he's in the lineup tonight at seven o'clock because you know this guy may be a little fatigued going into that game yeah right on uh, with this with the agility too you had mentioned before you know so many ways to to measure it and and if you're tasked with getting athletes a little bit more faster or agile are there any like like i mean i suppose there's a lot of tests you could do is there any kind of ways that you're you're uh, quant- uh quantitatively like assessing that as you go along like i guess the 10 yard dash would be like the basic one right like um but is there any other things you're kind of doing to measure that progress as those guys go along yeah we do uh we do the five ten five basic pro agility um you know i i think that it's a uh, 
it's a very comparable test, meaning that there are a ton of numbers that you can compare guys to. And there's always like su subtle differences in like the protocol, you know, how you make them do it. Like, you know, we use uh, a laser timing system to do it. So, you know, it's not the stopwatch that we're relying on. Um, and, and I think it's a good tool for, you know, visually assessing as well, because I think there's a lot to be um, taken out of that because it, it can also be used as like a measure of strength. Like we don't, because of the time that we have our players, we don't do like a max, like a three rep max or a one rep max test. We kind of use training loads in season to, to assess, you know, like guys, uh, you know, strength abilities. Um, the only time we may push guys to like that, that point where we want to really get like a measure would be like in our off season. If we have like a camp going on in like January and we have some guys, you know, and we can be a little bit more aggressive because we know that, you know, there's a few months before the season, but, uh, we don't like to, to do like a full on strength test that first day, because like I said, these guys are going through full workouts and, you know, if you're in an environment where guys are getting fired up, there can, you know, be some soreness and stiffness, you know, residuals the following day, which, you know, it, if we bury a guy and we take away from his skill work and now he looks sloppy on the field, like that's the coach's first perception, man, this guy looks like crap. Like he's not moving around. Well, it's like, well, um, maybe it's because he just did like a you know max effort you know squat test the day before. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the five ten five I think is is a very good you know you see the ability of the players to be able to decelerate um, you know let you let you know how guys move from like a, like I said watching um, and then just the numbers in general you can kind of get more of a, a large scale picture. It's not extremely specific and like I said there's you know there's there's a ton of different assessments that you could use. That's just something that. Like I said, we've used in the past, and I have some comparable numbers to kind of look at and go off of. Yeah, simple and to the point. And like you said, I feel like since there's not really a perception involved, just the qualitative watching, or yeah, the qualitative watching how the athlete does it and executes it, executes it as their numbers improve, probably is really valuable too to see and and communicate to them. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, if it's an easy drill because we can also use that. Like if if we were to be doing you know some type of agility work in the off season, which you know, I, I will say I, I, I really don't spend a lot of time doing, you know, traditional agility because I think there are other things that we can attack that will uh, help that. Uh, but that may be one of those like simple things that I'll throw in, you know, more so just to get guys comfortable with, with uh, like that, that movement pattern, being able to accelerate laterally, break, you know, change directions. Uh, it's, like I said, a very simple task. Yeah. in not doing traditional, like I think we, when I think of traditional agility, I think of like, cones and ladders and mini hurdles and and maybe that guy with the quick feet running around in circles and stuff and then catching a pass but like uh what uh what what are some of the key like positions that you're training in for lateral movement like what if you're training an athlete's lateral and change the direction what are some cornerstone things that you're doing there uh like i said i, I think maybe just looking for body positioning looking for guys ability to um you know get in a good athletic position and, and decelerate their body um, like I said, we have a, a very uh, large variety of uh, body types, um, and, and every position's demands are slightly different. Our, our outfielders, you know, may not meet, need to do as much decelerative work um, as more so as like the infielders. Um, so it, it's, I think, more so looking for how they are able to, you know, get their their hips in a good position where they're, you know, not overreaching, they're not extending. Because agility is really weird in baseball, too. Like, if you watch some of, like, the best defenders, let's just say, like, you're watching, like, your middle infielders. You know, rarely when they field the ball are they coming to, like, this exact stop position. 
you know, a lot of times it's so fast that, you know, it's like one fluid motion. They're feeling, turning, getting that ball out of the glove and letting it go. They're not, like, coming to a complete break. So I think that's where, like, that's where, you know, as a in, in things that I look at, you know, from an order of what we really want to work on and how much of uh, the volume that we have, um, you know, baseball doesn't require, like, a ton of agility, you know, in, in that sense. And, you know, I think it actually, like, for me, it more co- so comes down to, like, a mobility standpoint. You know, we see a lot of players with really, uh, you know, I'll say tight hips, and that's a general term, players that lack internal rotation. Mm. And if they lack internal rotation, that's usually saying something along the lines of, hey, something is wrong either uh, from, a, from a tissue standpoint or from a bony process, you know. Um, so we'll kind of look at the hip internal rotation numbers that we get. Um, there's some brief assessments that we can do, you know, some of the, some of the stuff I'll use from uh, PRI, just like the extension drop test and adduction drop test, just to kind of see where a guy is at on a daily basis. You know, that may help to see. Um, I think mobility plays more of a role in agility in baseball than, you know, going out and doing a ton of different cone drills and ladder drills because you know, that, that stuff may be good for some younger population or, or kids that don't have those motor patterns yet. Um, but, you know, you're taking away from the pie somewhere. So it's like, all right, if we're going to spend 30 minutes on agility, what are we cutting out? You know, because we don't have these full days to throw in all these extra things. Or maybe the, the lift suffers or maybe their speed work suffers or their tempo work isn't that great. Or, you know, maybe they're just sore and fatigued and the travel, you know, was terrible and the, the nutrition was terrible, like all these lifestyle hygiene factors. So, like I said, when there's all these things, all these different variables, I kind of I try to look at like what's what's like the, the most important thing that we need to attack. And I think agility in, in the sense of what, you know, traditionally is described as agility kind of falls way down on the totem pole there. And that may just be me and, you know, people may disagree, but. Yeah. I, I think a lot of that, yeah, the, what the traditional agility is really just, it's really no different than just playing kids playing in the playground. Like you need to do it early on, I guess. Well, play on the playground. <laughs> I guess you could yeah. do a lot of the typical agility stuff if you want to when you're a kid, but like, no, I, I, what you were saying too is giving the players the mobility. It makes me think of like uh, a tenant of the Jay Schrader system and it's just like give the players the physical capabilities and the brain will figure out how to use that and move better. And um, rather than just training someone in a compromised position over and over again where they can't get into the – and the, the internal rotation PRI, I've seen the exact same thing like my tennis guys that have trouble moving laterally. The internal rotation is always a very difficult thing. Like it's like they – you know, the, the picture you have of someone who makes you happy in the squat rack because they can get their knees out <laughs> and do all those things. But then, you know, to be able to actually move laterally. So I, 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 I right on there. I think that's great stuff, Pat. Well, appreciate it. Yeah. Like I said, I think, uh, I think it's, it, there's a, a very, um, a very broad spectrum that you have to look at and, and there's all kinds of ways of going about it and means and methods and, like I said, even even using like the example of PRI, sometimes you know that there's schools of thought that's like the end all be all, and, and I think that's a modality. I, you know, we, we use some of the you know Jay Strader's like uh, extreme ISO holds, and and I'll say some of the guys that we have can't even hold you know the lunge position for over a minute. So it's Ouch. <laughs> it, yeah, that's why I said, but it's it's fun to kind of see how that because it does like those those are uh, means that we can use that that may address like a, a common theme, like opening up the hips or, or giving strength to, to the hamstrings, you know, in a isometric 
state, which is, you know, kind of what we're looking for. That's kind of some of the basis behind some of the PRI stuff that we, that we use. I know there's a lot more uh, in-depth anatomy and posture that kind of goes along with it. But, um, you know, we, we just look at, like I said, a, a general, you know, a, a very broad spectrum of things and uh, how we can make the, the biggest impact. And for every player, it, you know, that their needs may be different. All right, on yeah, I, I do think a lot of those those systems really run together, and I like I like how you mentioned that. Like with PRI, it makes me think about what Justin Moore had just talked about. It's like the PRI stuff is awesome, but if you can find like a linchpin where it's just maybe even a coaching cue or something where you don't have to tell the player they're deficient and and fix it without getting them on the table or something like that, then that's then that's where it's at. Um, but I've I've learned a ton from PRI, and it's 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 kind of become a, a, a big part of my assessment system in the process here. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that's it for the questions I had for you today, Pat. I, uh, this was a really great talk. I, I really, I, you know, I don't get to talk to a lot of baseball performance coaches often, and and uh, every time I do, I, I just learn a lot of really cool things. So thanks for filling me in with uh, the ins and outs of your program, and I really enjoyed it. No problem. I appreciate you having me, Joel. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. We appreciate you guys listening and being on board with us throughout this 130. It's crazy. Every benchmark is just like 10 more, 10 more. I've learned so much. So many awesome coaches. This has been a huge blessing for me, and I hope it has been for you as well. Our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, they are rock stars in the sports tech space. They have the free lap timing system, K-Box, Gym Aware, muscle stimulators, force plates, uh, Everything that you could possibly think of to assess an athlete in a practical situation, um, you are going to see that in their store, and they do just an awesome job of, of customer service as well as their blog and bringing great information. So uh, check them out, and then we'll be back next week with another great guest. We'll see you then.